I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about regret. Well, really, we're going to talk about how you'll avoid regret, but we'll start with regret because I find it absolutely fascinating. I am accidentally in the business of regret. Thousands of people have applied to Tacklebox over the years to build out their startup idea, and since 2015, one question has stayed constant on the application for the program. If you decide you want to apply, you'll have to answer it too. It goes, quote, why do you need to start this business? When I initially included the question, I thought that the phrasing, why do you need to do this, would act as a filter to help me weed out the non-serious folks before I spend any time on them. I was hoping that they'd realize they didn't need to do this, and if it doesn't feel like you need to start a startup, it's probably not going to go all that well. For the serious folks, I imagined I'd get answers like, quote, this problem is important and I think about it all the time and I need to do something about it. But I didn't. Nearly every application said the same thing. They weren't focused on the problem or the customer. They were focused on regret. I've got weird pockets of time now that I'd imagine most new parents can relate to. And for those curious, my son was born on December 19th, healthy and happy. My wife is healthy and happy too, despite a casual 29-hour labor. And generally, we're over the moon. Thanks to all who emailed or messaged, and a big thank you for the custom idea to start up onesie that arrived in the mail. Anyway, from about 3.15 a.m. to 5 a.m. this morning, I lay awake as the little guy hiccuped and I frantically Googled if hiccups are dangerous. And once I was satisfied that they weren't, I thought about this pod. I decided to scroll through some of our old applications, checking in on the answers to the need question. Here are a few. Quote, I don't want to look back when I'm 60 and know I never tested myself. And quote, I know I'll regret it if I don't give this a chance. I can't imagine how upset I'd be if I don't pursue this idea and someone else does and it works. And finally, maybe my favorite, quote, I don't need to do anything. No one needs to do anything except eat, drink water, and sleep. This is a stupid question. I don't think we accepted that person. The point is, when I control f for regret, it came up more times than I could scroll through. It's pretty clear that the fear of regret drives some big life decisions. People always ask about New Year's resolutions. Do we have a system for them at Tacklebox or a way to think through them or a way to wrap up last year and prep for the next? I do have some reflection templates, but I generally think reflection questions are always less important than reflection cadence. A simple prompt of how am I doing with 20 minutes and a piece of paper every Sunday is always going to beat the crap out of a 20-page year-end review you do once every 365 days. But there is one thing I suggest doing at the end of every year. It's called the Regret Minimization Framework, and I first heard about it in an interview with Jeff Bezos from back before he was a supervillain or a robot or whatever he is now. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's only about three minutes long. The framework, he explains, is simple. Project yourself to age 80 and then look back on your life. What do you regret if you don't do it? When you think in those terms, decisions get pretty clear. And I think people naturally do this type of exercise this time of year, and it's why we get so many new Tacklebox members in January, because they realize they're going to regret not going after an idea when they're 80. And also, they realize that the only thing holding them back from going after it 
is themselves. The long-term view also makes the shorter-term roadblocks seem insignificant. Bezos talks about how he quit his Wall Street job to start Amazon in the middle of the year, which everyone said was crazy because shouldn't he just wait eight more months and get his bonus? My favorite Christmas song is by the Pogues, and it's called Fairy Tale of New York. And my favorite line from it is the lead singer crooning, I could have been someone. Then the female vocalist chops back, well, so could anyone. Regret is always the thing. So what I want to talk about today is what to do with the newfound fire you've got in your belly. You don't want to regret not going after an idea, so maybe you've planted your foot in the ground and said you're going to go after it for an hour a day, or maybe you're going to quit your job and give yourself six months to figure this out. I love it. Never waste a tragedy and never waste the surge of momentum you get from the fear of regret. But my experience is that this approach leads people to execute pretty poorly. They've done what they think is the risky thing, which is decide to pursue an idea or quit their job, and now they kind of slingshot back to the other extreme and pursue that in a safe way. That is not going to work. The earliest decisions lay the foundation for the later ones, and if you do this wrong, you can really neuter yourself from day one, which is obviously not what we want. So today, let's take this regret momentum and let's build on it. We're going to leverage a framework that ensures we do the risky things first, and we'll test out a few startup ideas that came to mind while we've been off the last couple of weeks. And to do all that, first, we've got to talk about the show alone. After, a little smooth 2023 jazz. Hey, we've got a few slots opening up for Tacklebox where we help people turn ideas into startups, as a few of our founders have now outgrown the core program as their businesses have scaled a bit. So if you've got an idea you've been sitting on and you want to turn it into a startup, let's do it. And to sweeten it a bit more and maybe kick you in the butt a bit, if you apply in the next two weeks and get accepted, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just head to gettacklebox.com and apply with what you're working on and put code HOLIDAY in the application when it asks for a referral code. Back to it. Do the risky things first. My wife and I watched a show called Alone during the first week of the little guy's life, and it was a pretty hilarious contrast. If you haven't seen it, the show takes 10 people who are survival specialists and drops them one by one in a remote location. They're all in the same location, but they're miles and miles away from each other, so they never bump into each other. Each contestant gets 10 items. Then they survive. When they want to leave, there's a button they can press and they'll get picked up. The person who survives the longest wins $500,000. So we watched these survival savants stay alive in this unforgiving territory while we held a seven-pound nugget on our laps who wouldn't last 45 minutes without us. Anyway, they give each contestant a bunch of cameras and you watch the footage they take. I really can't recommend it enough. We watched the season that dropped contestants in Chilco Lake in British Columbia in the fall. It was cold, it was hard to get food, winter was coming, and there were grizzly bears everywhere. About five minutes into the show, I realized how many similarities there were to starting a business. It was uncanny. Nearly every contestant started out by looking into the camera day one and talking about regret. If they didn't do this, they'd always regret it, they'd say. Sure, it was a risk. Some had quit their jobs to do it. Others left kids. One guy left his wife, pregnant with twins, home alone. It usually takes about 70 or 80 days of survival to win, so each was ready to be out of contact with the world for that long. But they drilled home. They couldn't wake up when they were 80 and regret not doing it. So here they were. And then nearly all of them made their fatal mistake. On the heels of this risky move, joining the show, they start out by saying something like, quote, 
the first thing I've got to do is build a permanent shelter, one that'll keep me safe and warm when the weather turns cold in six weeks. So they cut down trees and hauled logs to make cabins. They lugged rocks up hills to make chimneys. They built doors and chairs and dug out basements. All along, they talked to the camera about how big of a calorie expenditure this was, how it used up all the reserves they showed up with. They were obsessed with calorie math, and the shelters were depleting them. But it was necessary, they'd tell themselves and tell the camera. They could stay in this home for the duration once they'd finally gotten it built. And so the contestants focused on their shelters, melting away as they subsisted on a few calories a day from wild onions and a handful or two of berries, determined that this shelter would make the difference. All the contestants, but two. These two didn't think about their shelters at all at the start. One of the two spent all of his time building a boat. He could build a shelter as time went on, he'd said. There was no differentiator in a shelter. Everyone on this show obviously could build one that would hold up in the cold. And it was still 60 degrees out, he said. It wasn't necessary for a while. If he got the boat, on the other hand, the upside was tremendous. The only thing that mattered was a system to get calories, he'd said. And if he could take his boat out and fish and catch a trout a day, he would be good for as long as he wanted to stay. The other person who didn't focus on a shelter to start focused on hunting. He said that if he figured out game trails and was able to take down a deer, he would immediately extend his runway by 30 days. The boat guy built a boat and it got him fish. The deer guy figured out the game trails and eventually it got him a deer. And they both ended up with shelters that worked fine, but they built them slower and later, after they knew the land a little bit, after they'd figured out food. There was no delta in shelters. There was delta in a system to get calories. The calorie math was always the most important thing, and the contestants all knew it, yet 8 out of 10 ignored it. Everyone who spent their early days building a big, fancy shelter exhausted themselves, eventually tapping out or being pulled for malnutrition. No one figured out how to get food. The winner, the deer guy, was still going strong at 70 days when everyone else had tapped out. When humans gear up to take a risk, like going on a show to survive in the wilderness or start a startup, their default first action usually slingshots them back towards what they think is safe. But what people think is safe in situations like startups or alone is usually the opposite. The safe tactics are the ones that have company, the ones everyone else thinks make sense. This means there's no separation. And startups are all about separation, the difference between you and the alternative, the delta. The guy who built the boat talked about how if his boat didn't work, he'd know it in the first few days and he'd be able to try some other method to find food. The contestants that built shelters up front were completely locked into whatever untested strategy they'd come up with on day 25. They had no bandwidth to change, no new way to find calories. I had an old boss that would say something repeatedly to entrepreneurs when they pitched him their businesses. I remember one pitch specifically. The company was building out an app that helped treat chronic pain. It combined a mental practice with a physical one, and the founders started by listing all the features that they'd build to start to get them on even footing with all their competitors. About six months in, he'd said, they'd have all the table stakes features, and then they would get on to their killer differentiator. Then they would go after customers. I forget what the differentiator was, but I do not forget my boss's reaction. He tossed their deck up in the air theatrically and hollered, always start with the big reveal. Always, because if it's not a big reveal, we need to know that so we can change it. Don't build anything anyone else already has. Test that your new features, your differentiated features matter. 
then build those, then come back to me. Start with the big reveal. I always love that. We had a guest on the pod the other day named Jero Wade. We'll publish his interview in a few weeks. When asking for some general advice for founders, he told them to always do the risky stuff first because it's the important stuff and you won't have the risk tolerance to do it in the future. Your first actions will be your baseline. Your range of options will narrow after that. It's a nice rephrase of start with the big reveal. If you're 18 and you want to backpack around the world for a year, do it now or it's probably not going to happen. If you're 21 and your dream is to be a basketball coach, but you want to be financially secure first, so you're saying that you're going to take a job until you're 35 and then try the whole coaching thing, I can tell you what, you're never going to coach. Humans are goldfish and your expenditures will expand with your paycheck and you will never have the ability to go back. Humans are notoriously bad at recovering. A few innocuous decisions early tend to plot our lives. If you're starting a startup, what is the riskiest part? What's the big reveal? What matters? Do that first. Do it now. I know it seems like the risky part was pursuing this whole thing in the first place, but I promise you that isn't it. The risky bit is messing up this first move because it'll usually lock you into your next 10 or 20. It'll be tough to recover. As I watch contestants on the show sitting in their warm, over-engineered shelters, realizing they didn't have the strength to figure out creative ways to find food, and that food was the only thing that mattered, I thought of so many founders that have knocked on our door over the years. The ones that thought the risk was in the product, the ones that paid an outsourced development shop all of their money to build something, and then realized six months later that nobody wanted the thing that they built, and there was no way to convert it into the thing that they needed. They didn't know how to get calories, how to build the system, how to stay alive. The product became their baseline, and all their activity was spent supporting that. It is so hard to make wholesale shifts once you've built something. It usually narrows down your opportunity window to whatever's adjacent to the first thing you built, even if that thing is completely wrong. Building a product first always seems safe. It rarely is. In the startup world, calories are customers. Figuring out differentiated ways to get those customers is always the answer. So that is how you start. Recognize that the fear of regret that flung you into this will likely lead you into a less risky starting point. Don't give in to that. Identify your calories, the things that'll keep you alive. Prioritize a system to get them that's based on your big reveal, the thing that matters. This is the risky part. If it doesn't work, you need to change fast. So do it first so you're able to. Here is an example. Someone reached out the other day with an idea for a cohort-based course. They asked questions about Tacklebox's financials, how much money we made, what our margins were, that sort of thing. I have zero problem with this and encourage you to always speak with anyone that's tried to solve the problem you're looking to solve in the past. Then they asked about the capabilities of the cohort course creator that we used. How many hours of video could they record? How many people could they have in the course at any given time? How easy would it be to have mentors record videos? They were building a shelter, spending their calories on the product itself before they knew what they needed. What is your secret sauce? I asked. The product, they responded. No, but like, what do you know that other people don't? What is the secret that is anchoring this business? The founder thought for a second and then responded that the cohort-based course was for startup founders who wanted to learn how to do their own accounting and taxes to set up a financial model. And he said his model, the flexible Google Doc that he built, was perfect for this stage company. It had a customizable dashboard that could email them key stats weekly. 
It certainly had a learning curve. They had to understand certain concepts and learn how to use the model. But after the six-week program, they wouldn't need an accountant anymore. Great. I said, so the secret is the dashboard? That's the big reveal that'll get people excited? Or is it that they won't need an accountant? How do you know what matters? He was confused. The big reveal is that startups struggle with financials and I'll help them with it. I dug in. Which startups? How do they solve this problem now? When did they think about it? How do they make decisions? How will they find you? How do you know that they'll trust you? The risk is choosing the right customer, the one that'll jump out of their chair to work with you because you understand them better than anyone else. Start there, then build a product. Don't be tempted to build a shelter. There's also a shortcut here. The riskiest part of nearly every business is that people care enough about the problem you're solving to actually solve it. And if they do care enough that your big reveal, your secret sauce, is differentiated enough from the competition and specific enough to your customer's problem that they'll trust you and that they'll buy it, and that you can clearly message that differentiation in a channel your customers will see that messaging in. The risky part, again, is that you choose the right customer that has all of the above characteristics. That is what we have to do first. I told this founder to identify the customer segment he thought needed him the most, the one that'd be an absolute layup and acquire one of those customers, sell to one of them, get them signed up to the course before it existed. That is the risky thing. That's the baseline. You got to do that first. Any time spent on anything else is completely wasted. Regret is powerful in a good way. Thinking about what you're going to regret in 50 years is usually the fastest way to shake you out of whatever rut you're in. But when it does shake you out, you got to make sure you pursue that interesting stuff in a way that can work. Stack the risky parts up front. Do them first so that they are your baseline, so that you understand if your big reveal is worth anything, so that you've got time to change if it isn't. You've probably got some motivation from these past few weeks. Let's not waste it. And if you've got any tips on how to get a two-week-old baby to sleep or how to keep him asleep, for the love of God, send them my way. This was the Idea to Startup Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and you want to go after it, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. You can still use Holiday to get 50% off your first month for maybe another week or two. Have a great week.